You're listening to the Earmark edition of Laying Down the Law with Billy DeClerc, Esquire. You can earn free NASBA-approved continuing professional education credits for listening to this episode. To get started, download the free Earmark CPE app, register for the course, take a quick quiz, and get your CPE certificate. It's that easy. Learn more at earmarkcpe.com. And now, on to the episode. Warning. Laying Down the Law is a comedy podcast intended to be humorous. Human listener discretion is advised. From the Beyond Unreasonable Doubt Studios, in association with Feitner Productions, it's Laying Down the Law! With your host, Billy DeClerc! Hey, that's me. Yeah, that's right, Billy. That's you. <sighs> Featuring Chris Compton, Stephen C. James, and Han Summers live from the ledge, and Lauren Michaels, Pia Smith, and me, producer Jeff. Recorded later. Only a madman would dare to bring these people together to build a world of law and order, only to tear it apart with laughter. That madman is attorney Billy DeClerc. The result is a podcast blasted to the farthest reaches of the internet. That podcast is this one, and it starts right now. Welcome to Laying Down the Law, Earmark Edition, the law and comedy podcasted, hosted by me, Billy DeClerc. Let's welcome our guest today. First, he's the other half of the comedy duo Landry and Summers. He was also the co-founder and company member with Sean Landry of We Be Negroes and host of the Seniors Improv Comedy. He's a graduate of Indiana University and the Players Workshop of Second City. And he's one of the allies of the Ledge Theater. He is Han Summers! That almost sounded impressive. <laughs> is your microphone on? Yes, it's yours. Fantastic. No, I don't know. Is my microphone on? It is. Fantastic. <laughs> Next, he's an actor, storyteller, writer, and director who escaped the great state of Texas, moving to L.A. to pursue a career in comedy and free verse poetry, where he has become a reluctant hero running a drama program at a middle school, which was featured on the Moth Storytelling Podcast. He's performed at Second City L.A. with the really awesome improv show and with Tuskegee Experiment. He's written for the TV show 26 Miles, played... The Dude in Pumpkin Patch and performs on the Super Legit Podcast. He's co-founder of the comedy duo Nerdvana that's performed at countless clubs and venues throughout the USA. (sighs) Please welcome the multi-talented Mr. Stephen C. James. I know you're a narcissist when you got a page turned into <laughs> And finally, my third guest is an actor, writer, improviser, and all-around do-gooder. Listen close, and you'll hear him in movies like The Blind Side, Marmaduke, and The Mechanic, or on TV shows like Pretty Little Liars, Cougar Town, and Victorious. As an improviser, he's toured the world with Second City's Boat Co. and can currently be seen with Nerdvana, the two-man improv and sketch show that is performed in Los Angeles and right here at the Lyric Hyperion in lovely Silver Lake, California, just about five minutes ago. Around the country for over a decade, he is the one and only, well, probably not the one and only, but he's the one and only here tonight, Chris 
Compton. And now a short break to hear from our commercial sponsors. Insert advertisement here. Thank you so much to the sponsor. We appreciate <laughs> We really appreciate your support. Now folks, get out there and support that product and or service. Use the promo code if applicable. Not available in all areas. Some restrictions may apply. Batteries not included. Enlarged to show texture. Ask your doctor about serious side effects. And who's ready for some legal edutainment? We are. Oh, please, please. All right, okay. So, the deal is that I'm going to read a case. I'm going to give you the facts, and feel free to interrupt me at any time and ask questions. This is Hoover versus Sun Oil Company. Herbert Hoover? Uh... It is not Herbert Hoover. Oh, okay. Okay. 1962. We said any time. <laughs> 1965. The case commenced on August 16th, 1962, a warm summer, summer day in Delaware um, at a service station offer, operated by one James F. Barone. A fire started at the rear of Mr. Hoover's car, where it was being filled with gasoline, started uh, being serviced by one Mr. Smilek, John Smilek, who was an employee of Barone. That I've got a question already. How do you start a fire while filling up someone's gas tank? Uh, How hard do you have to be cramming that hose in there while smoking your 1962 Exactly, cigarettes? there you go. Like, there to you to go. start a fire while yeah. gassing up someone's car. Yeah. Well, you know, it's a great thing about law school is we don't know how the fire started, nor do we know how serious the injuries were because it's not the legal issue here in the case. Oh, so it's almost like you're intimating that there's some sort of stereotype of lawyers maybe not caring about the actual people. It's actually not a stereotype. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. no, that's actually right. true. No, that's actually true. Just caring about the property. That's Just right. Just caring about the yeah. property. So the plaintiffs, Mr. Hoover, had serious enough injuries that he sued Barone, the owner of the station manager, Mr. Smilek, the uh, fire-starting service station attendee, and Sun Oil Company, the Deep Pockets, which owned the service station. Now, Sun wanted to get out of the case, claiming that it was not the owner of the service station. So the, the question that's presented in this case is whether Sun was the owner enough that it could be responsible for the injuries to Mr. Hoover. So here are the facts that uh, are relevant. First, the service station was owned by Sun Oil Company, but it was operated by Mr. Barone. Sort of like the Lyric Hyperion. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. Which is owned by Sun Oil Company. Yes. It is owned by Sun Oil Company. En enjoy the complimentary cups of Sun Oil on all right. of your yeah. Delicious. <laughs> Try it neat. Yeah. Uh, they had a dealer and lease agreement, sort of like a, sort of like a franchise operation, franchise, yeah. like a Subway or a, or a Baskin Robbins, um, where they, uh, Barone had started running the, the service station two years ago. So Sun Oil owned the dirt, the ground underneath. They leased it to Barone. And uh, Barone had gone to Sun School, which apparently involved some kind of a model service station where he was trained on all the Sun products, and he got a Sun service degree. And did uh, it have a garage in which you pressed a button and then the car would roll all the way down? It did. And then <laughs> the people didn't have legs, and you put them inside. Oh, of okay. It. Right, right. So they wobble, but they wouldn't fall down. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. It's kind of like Hamburger U. Where you learn about McDonald's. Yeah, that's exactly okay. exactly like that. I'm also curious how your parents react when you tell them, hey, I'm going to college. Kind of. I'm going to Sun University. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you said I'd never amount to anything, but I'm going to college to learn how to be a gas station attendant. Honey, <laughs> does, does the Sun stand for something? Is that an abbreviation? Nope, just Sun. Ah. See, 
So that means the University of Phoenix used to be less reputable? That's right. Okay. Well, see, the reason it's called Sun Oil Company is it all starts from the sun. See, millions of years ago... I, I assume that this is going to be cut out of the podcast for editing. Yeah. As but. you go into the history of how petroleum is made from beginning to end. Well, let's let the audience know that he did go for another 25 minutes yeah. from yeah. the Big Bang Daddy, all tell the me way about the dinosaurs that died and got compressed under the ground and became oil? Well, it wasn't really the dinosaurs. It was the sure. plants. Yeah, oh, it was the plants, okay. That was the most of the oil. Uh, I see. Uh-huh. It wasn't dinosaurs. Not at all. I always thought it was dinosaurs. It wasn't. I thought they got compressed between the rocks. No, Sinclair lying to me. <laughs> <laughs> so he was, a, Barone was allowed to sell other products. He didn't just have to sell sun oil products, but his um, employees wore a uniform that had a little sun logo on it. Um, he also had someone who came by every single week, and his name was Robert B. Peterson, who came by every week to supervise, inspect the restrooms, and uh, try and sell more Sun products. That pause made it sound like you made up the most boring fake name possible. <laughs> yeah, that yeah, was... Um, His name was <laughs> Robert B. Peterson. <laughs> yeah, Is your refrigerator it. running? <laughs> yeah, there with his wife, notes microphone. <laughs> <laughs> yep, uh, that's right. Uh, Robert B. Peterson is not the na- not his real name. Uh, it is. Um, He's telling us lots of lies. <laughs> I.P. Freely is his real name. Um, so Mr. Pe- Mr. Peterson would inspect the restrooms, discuss customer complaints, and make suggestions to improve sales. And he would advise Mr. Barone on operations. Now, very important. The court lets us know <clears throat> Mr. Barone did not need to follow Mr. Peterson's advice necessarily. They were just suggestions. Um, I'm very glad that you're saying this because there's a word that I've been wanting to get into the lexicon, and that is job legation. Yeah. It's when yeah. at work they're like, hey, you don't have to attend this meeting, mm. but you know i got to attend that meeting. Yeah. If I'm not at that meeting, yeah. everybody's going to be like, hey, why weren't you at that voluntary meeting that you should have been at? Right. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Completely voluntary. Also the ping pong, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Always absolutely. Um, so he's not required to follow the advice. He set his own hours. And in the um, agreements between them, he assumed the risk of loss, and he was the one that was responsible to uh, supervise the employees. So the question is, uh, Sun asks to get taken out of the case. It's not our responsibility. We don't own the property. We don't run it. We're not responsible. Um, So just a quick uh, survey. Do you think Sun got out of the case, or do you think Sun was found liable? Well, let's see now. Okay, now, Sun owns the land, right? Correct. Okay, and the building that has a Sun sign is on the land that Sun owns. That's right. They did have a large, a large advertising sign like, um, like service stations today, and there was also classified ads taken out that said it was a Sun service station. And each, and each of their employees are tattooed with Sun oil, right? On their uniforms, that's <laughs> exactly. right. Exactly. Yeah. And, and the logo does say... Son, we own this gas station, right? It does. Yes, okay, exactly yeah, yeah. So I'd say, yeah, yeah, son's responsible. Uh, okay, I'm, I'm going to be very unpopular then because I don't think they're responsible because it's not like part of their employee manual was like, on Thursdays, it's free fire day. Go ahead and cram as many lit cigarettes into the back of, a, of an old of a Hoover car as you can. I, I think just because you hire an asshole does not mean you're necessarily 100% responsible that asshole, and I deeply apologize to the family of the gas station attendant, who Mr. I'm Smiley. completely besmirched by calling an asshole. 
I'm well, so sorry. But wait a minute. The, 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 the uh, owner of the gas station hired the asshole. Isn't he responsible for the people he hires? Yeah, but that's like putting Sun like four or five things down the line. But Sun sold the gas station to this guy. Yeah, but they didn't know that he was going to hire an asshole. <laughs> it's a gas station. I mean, yes, gas stations are commonly populated with assholes. There you go. But Chris, what do you think? Uh, I'm going to go strategic and bet one dollar. <laughs> <laughs> Well, go ahead and spin the wheel. All right. Come on. No sun gas station attendance. Although I, I will admit I might be wrong because maybe this case is why there are no sun oil stations today. <laughs> <laughs> like, this was the last thing sun did. They were like, we can get out of this. And the guy who got his car set on fire, Hoover, was like, no, I'm going to go ahead and call my lawyer, Jonathan Exxon. And we're going to take well, this is the part where I tell the audience that I'm under contract to produce a 45-minute law episode. However, you're not going to listen to that. It's going to be recorded later. And I'm just going to tell you what the outcome is. But for those of you that are listening to this for free continuing education credits, you CPAs on Earmark, you're now about to get more information from me recorded later. <laughs> <laughs> Greetings, Earmark listeners. This is your host, Billy DeClerc. Later. I am contractually obligated to provide for you approximately 36.2 minutes of actual legal learning, TM. Uh, it takes me roughly 97 minutes to provide those 36 minutes. Right. Oh, hi, Jeff. Hi, buddy. You've Good already... to see you. Uh, everyone, if you've been listening to this podcast for a while or even 10 minutes, this is producer Jeff. <laughs> producer Jeff is the silent improviser that puts in the edits a lot after the fact. And sometimes they are hysterical edits and sometimes they're edits that make me sound smarter. Sometimes. <laughs> Usually. <laughs> hey, Pia's here. Oh, Pia, hey, Pia's hey. here. Excellent. Hey, <laughs> oh my yeah. God, Lauren Michaels is here. Holy shit. It's like a whole clan. Oh. Hi. Welcome back. Oh my God. Lauren Michaels. Earmark listeners, you heard Lauren Michaels in episode one. You've heard Pia Smith in episode two. Now here we are in episode three, most of which is going to be live with Ron Summers, Stephen C. James, and Chris Compton at the ledge. Yeah. Oh, um, it is Hoover versus Sun Oil Co. I know we're going to, and I got the, I, this is going to be so perfect because I completely forgot what we talked about and it's fresh in your mind. So you're going to have, so basically the bit is you're trying to keep me on track. We have to record something relevant to the case, Billy. It has to be Hoover versus Sun Oil. It's it not going to be Hoover versus Sun Oil. I'm just telling you it's not because I already did Hoover versus Sun Oil, but I'm going to do Humble Oil and Refining Co. versus Martin. Humboldt Oil Company. Humble, Humble, Humble Oil Company. Is it in Humble, Texas? Humble Oil and Refining Company. I don't know. And AC Love got sued because, because George Martin and his kids were hit from behind by Love's car when she left it for Humble Oil to service. So, so, so Mrs. Love leaves her car at the Humble Oil station. And the question in this case is whether George Martin, the plaintiff, can sue Humble Oil. We're following? Got it so far. What that depends on is whether there is a um, independent contractor or a quote unquote master servant or employee employer relationship. 
between them. And so the question is whether the, or we can call it even principal and agent. We've talked about principal and agent, principal being the person that's in control and the agent doing the work for the person. So if humble oil is the principal, then they can be sued for the injuries to AC Lovin or children, which is of course important because humble oil is where the money is. Humble Oil is like the parent oil company that does the refining and distribution, right? And AC Love would be the vendor? AC Love is the... Or the franchisee, in a sense, the operator of a station? No, we need to know the facts. There you go. The facts of the case is that Mrs. Love left her car at a service station to get the brakes fixed. She wasn't there when this happened. Okay, so who is Martin? Martin is the owner of the vehicle that was struck by Mrs. Love's car. So, so what happened is she did not correctly, uh, she didn't, you know, turn on the emergency brake or whatever. And then the station employees did not check the car to make sure that was secure from rolling. It was being taken there for a brake job. So the car rolled downhill out of the station lot onto the property and hit the plaintiff and his two kids. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. So, so Martin and his kids sue AC Love, the station operator, W.T. Schneider. That's the person I was looking for. That's the person I was curious about. If this was a, an independent station that is operating. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yes. And hence it is relevant to the other case that we're interrupting. Yeah. Okay. So real quick, what, do we know the timeline? Had she literally, she stepped out of the car and it rolled like, right. She parks, she takes the car. She's like, Hey, I'm here for a brake job. Doesn't turn on the emergency brakes, walks away. The stage station agent is like, yeah, let me finish the smoke. First, the car rolls down the hill, hits Martin and, and the kids. And, uh, and there's a lawsuit and it's like, okay, who's going to pay for these injuries. So humble oil says we are not liable because W.T. Schneider is an independent contractor. The station manager, if the station manager is an independent contractor, then there is no liability. The liability would, would reside with Schneider, the owner of the service station, and probably AC Love for negligently failing to secure her car before she walked away for it to get a brake job. Okay. So, so everything turns on whether humble oil, this, this big oil company with plenty of money acquired by Exxon as, as Jeff points out, I didn't know that, um, is going to pay for these injuries to Martin and, and the kids. The court looks at the following facts. There's an agreement called a commission agency agreement between Schneider and Humble Oil. Not, Schneider didn't, the, the, the other piece of evidence is Schneider did not consider Humble Oil an employer. The employees of the service station were paid by Schneider. They referred to Schneider as the boss. There's a part of the commission agency agreement that expressly repudiates any authority of humble over the station employees. So they have this contract. The contract says, we don't control any of your employees at the service station. But the court says that doesn't, that doesn't give us the answer. 
because there are other facts that suggest that there was more than just a contract relationship going on here. So here's the other evidence. Humble Oil had the right to control a whole bunch of aspects of how the station was run. And so the court looks at some of these factors and says, mm, we think that this is a principal agent slash master servant slash employee relationship where humble oil needs to be responsible for what happens at this station. So what are those facts? Okay. They point out that humble has a lot of control over the station. So they have the ability to um, significantly financially control and supervise the station so much so that the court says this isn't even really an independent service station. This service station is really just a marketing enterprise for humble oil products. So the main object of the station was to deliver the oil, the gas, the products to the consumers. There's a strict system of financial control and supervision by humble and very little or no business discretion for Schneider except who to hire, who to fire, who to pay, and supervision of the employees. So he's more or less just a manager for them. Um, they provided the station location, all the equipment, all of the advertising, and a significant part of the operating costs. They controlled the hours of operation, and they only um, write that Schneider even had to be there was this commission agency agreement, which Humble could end at any time. He didn't wow. even have a lease agreement for the, the, the physical property. They owned the property. Okay. So the rentals were based, mm. the quote unquote rentals paid by Schneider to Humble Oil was based upon a, basically a commission sales agreement. It was how much oil or gas was sold at the station determined how much Schneider made. Um, but as, essentially... It required Schneider to do anything they told him to do. He was essentially a, a store clerk, they say, who's paid a commission instead of a salary. And so for all these reasons, the court says there is way too much control here by Humble Oil for them to distance themselves and not be considered the principal here. They are controlling almost every aspect of this business. And Mr. Schneider, poor Mr. Schneider is really just, he's just a manager. He's just a, you know, uh, you know, it's a Pulp Fiction reference. Like, I'm just a coffee shop manager. You know, he <laughs> literally has no control except for who he hires. And so the court says, no, we're going to hold Humble Oil responsible to pay for the injuries to Martin and the kids because this was essentially their station. They were essentially in control and they are essentially responsible for whatever happens there, including a car that's not secured rolls down the hill across the street and hits two kids. It's totally their station. It's not like he can get Whoa. gas from somebody else. Right. It's totally exclusive. So that's an important factor that they say, mm. it's not like he can choose multiple products. Yeah. Um, they compare, they contrast this to another case called Texas company versus wheat. W H E A T where a dealer type of relationship is different when the station is owning the property that's on it's just like franchising for the gas but the but the actual physical location is owned by the um, station and in that case in the texas company case the court says there the station manager sold the product as his own 
and he was free to sell it at whatever price he wanted to sell it. He could sell it cash or credit, whatever he wanted to. He could choose the products of the Texas company and also um, set the pro you know sell other oil products. It didn't require him to do any specific duties. He didn't have to pay the operating expenses or control the working hours of the station. So this is really a, a continuum of control where the court here is saying there, when you get to a certain level of control and here the court's saying it's too much control, it's so much control that we're gonna hold the humble oil company responsible for everything that happens there. Now, the case that we are interrupting and that's live on stage at the Lyric Hyperion with the Ledge Theater goes a different way. Quick question about the case mm -hmm. that we're talking about right mm -hmm. now. What were the injuries? Like how severe were the injuries? Was anyone, you know, maimed or crippled or anything? Well, it doesn't say what their exact injuries are here. What it does say is with a little bit more detail, this is in Austin, Texas. The unoccupied automobile was left at the filling station. And before anyone touched it, it rolled off by gravity off the premises and obliquely across the abutting street, striking Mr. Martin and his children from behind as they were walking into the yard of their home, a short distance downhill from the station. So it doesn't say what their specific injuries are or how much money is involved, but I'm imagining that getting hit by a, a car rolling downhill is going to be not small injuries, especially when they're little kids. Ooh. Yeah. Oh, total bummer. Interesting. So, so go ahead. I was just curious about that. <laughs> so this happened in 1949. We're talking about a car that could be sticks, sticks and wires of a Model T or it could be like I'm a Chrysler Airflow. Like right, like the, a the early chunk of metal. Beautiful yeah. 40s Mercuries. Um, them kids got herded. Yeah. Them kids got herded a lot. Oh, what a bummer. It just seems so grisly. Oh. Mm -hmm. Grizzly with an S and not two Zs, right? Mm -hmm. Um all kinds of grizzly. <laughs> <laughs> The jury noted that the station didn't inspect the love car to see if the emergency brake was set or whether it was engaged in park, you know, the gears were engaged. Oh my God. They didn't set the emergency brake. They left it unattended and that essentially Mrs. Love had handed over the car. They had control of it. The accident was not unavoidable and there was nothing that Martin or his kids had done wrong that put them at fault for the injury. Yeah, no. I yeah. Yeah, you get hit from behind by a car rolling across the street. <laughs> but you know, there yeah. is there are doctrines that say, you know, if if you if you are part of your own injury, then that can you know interfere with your recovery. It's it's interesting, lawyers, we get very uh we get very into the who's responsible and how do we divide it up and very little time is spent concerning ourselves with the human cost, especially in 1949, with the, the real human cost and the impact on, on people. Um, one of our cases, my guests found out halfway through that a bunch of people died in the case. And they're like, whoa, that's a surprise. I'm like, oh yeah, but we're just talking about principal agency situation. <laughs> yeah. That is, that is a through line from laying down the law, especially with this focus for earmark is mm -hmm. uh, 
but what about the people? How were they hurt? How much yeah. did they yeah. get paid? And yeah. all these things, right? And Billy's like, we don't care. Yeah, lawyers don't care. <laughs> I mean, it's not, the, it's not relevant to these cases. It's not relevant to the case law. I mean, lawyers care <laughs> in the sense focus. that the economics yeah. of it define whether or not you're going to take the case because if it's not serious injuries, it's not worth it. That's why all the billboards <laughs> say serious injuries only because if it's a little injury, it's not worth the, it's not worth the time. It's not worth the money. Don't call us. Yeah. yeah don't wow. call us. Serious injuries only. You you know, if you're calling Larry H. Parker and you're hoping to get $2.1 million, that better be a real serious injury. Uh, Jeff, how are we doing on our contractual obligations to earmark? Well, we want to know what happened, right? That's the whole case. It's a short one. Yeah, but you didn't actually tell us what happened. What was the decision? Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's kind of a critical piece of the thing. You know, I, I, I apologize. You know, here's the thing. Let me tell you something about that. I am so much more interested in the analysis because the outcome <laughs> never matters. The outcome is always who's paying my bill. Then I can argue it both ways. I can argue it based upon humble oil versus Martin in which humble oil was responsible. It was found liable because there was too much control exerted. Okay. okay so yeah. much control, in fact, that the court the appellate court said that humble oil could be on the hook for all the injuries suffered by the Martin family um, because this was their station. They, they owned it, they controlled it, they set the hours and there were significant control and supervision, which basically turned it into a retail marketing enterprise. Now there's a dissent that says Mrs. Love is not responsible because she handed over the car to the station. Oh, yeah. She's, she's scot-free, right? Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. That's their argument. Ultimately, though, she was held responsible because she didn't set the brake and she didn't. Oh, my either. God. So even though she handed them the keys, she left it, she left it to roll down the hill. There's this whole assumption. <laughs> I mean, you can she get it. Like, 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 can you fix the brakes on my car? I. You know, I left the engine running and it's not in park, but you know, here you go. <laughs> yeah. Problem. I mean, I can't just get out of my car, no matter the circumstances and just let it, you know, roll no. down. No. So there's a little responsibility on her part, right? Yeah. And there's, the, and there's an assumption like by the, the people at the service station, if this lady's leaving her car with a yeah. brake issue that she takes the proper care to ensure it won't roll free. Right. <laughs> right. Like, because well, sort you know, of separate, right? I mean, it, really I mean, we it. don't know that the brakes were completely inoperative and could, she couldn't apply the brake. You know what I mean? It's not like mm -hmm. that's so not, a, that's not that. a fact. If that's the case, then then of course she's not responsible. But yeah, I don't think she, that's she right. didn't put a brick on the ground either. So yeah, she yeah. didn't do anything to set it. She, like you know, didn't, it she didn't do anything sideways. to ensure that her car was yeah. going to. Yeah. stay where it was yeah. oh my god it's such a bummer it but it sounds at the, like it was at least uphill. i mean i think that family did okay. better than if she had actually hit them herself you know what i mean at least a huge right. oil company <laughs> right but but when i get hired by the the huge oil company you can bet i'm going to be analogizing to sun oil <laughs> the next case in my law school textbook the one that we're talking about in the in the episode we're interrupting in which the oil company was found not responsible under almost the same facts really yes 
Oh, God. sun oil, it went the other way under almost entirely the same facts. Sun oil had um, exceeding amounts of control over the station there, but the court said, "Mm, not so much. It's an independent station. Uh, This guy works for himself, the the station manager, not our problem. Okay, see, they were corrupt already. It's a different state. No, it's not corrupt. It was a different state. Well, they were already been in the big See, here Sun we go. Sun Oil's Delaware, you're right. And 1965, and Humble Oil is... Uh, Texas in 49. Texas 49. But you it's would different. think the principles of law, like principle and agency, would would transcend state law. I'm sorry, are you suggesting that there be some kind of precedent and that we use that in future decisions to base the, the, <laughs> the focus of the court? Well, you don't want all this precedent yeah. from another state, but there is something called the restatement of law, which is kind of um, a a club of lawyers and judges who get together and like, what is the law generally speaking that's evolved and all over the place. And we're going to restate it in a way that is more confusing. And you know what? Yeah. I have had it. I have had it with the unfairness, with the shenanigans, with the, the whims of the court and the justice system that has no regard for for what? Just no regard. For, for, for I'm out of here. For real people. Wait. For real people. Yep. And like what happens next to them? Yeah. <laughs> I'm leaving. I can't take anymore. Goodbye. Okay. But, bye, Pia. But where? But where will you go? Bye, Pia. <laughs> so uh, restatement of law. In Humble Oil, mm-hmm. the oil companies found liable. In Hoover versus Sun Oil, they're found not liable, even though they have a Sun School for service station operators. They have weekly visits of a sale representative, a competitive allowance system, um, and the agent of Sun Oil would come by and give quote unquote advice to how to run the business operation. But the station manager set his own hours, set the pay scale and working conditions of the employees, and his name was listed as the proprietor. Um, Sun Oil had signs saying it was their station, advertising, the employees wore uniforms uh, with Sun Oil on it. All the equipment was owned by Sun. The rent was determined based upon how much was purchased. And there was an agreement in which Barone, the, the manager was allowed to buy other products, but was mostly supposed to buy Sun products. So if you are the lawyer, you're a big oil company say, come to you and said, you know what we want to do? Here's what we're big oil. What we want to do is we want to make the maximum amount of money with the least amount of exposure so that whatever happens on our service stations, if someone gets caught, caught on fire, we don't care what it costs. If that, the car rolls off and hits somebody, we don't care about that. If you know one of your one of your employees is smoking a cigarette and tosses it and causes a massive explosion, that's not going to be on us. But as long as you're making money, we want to make money. So what do we what do we uh, um, uh, lawyers just tell us what? How do we set up our contracts to ensure? That we pay zero dollars out when bad things happen and get a hundred cents on the dollar when good things happen. How do we do that based upon these two cases? The court with uh, accommodating justices. Mm. So what you're saying is we need to <laughs> we need to contribute to some of these campaigns for these uh, local. That's right. Local judges. <laughs> okay, that's a very practical um, <laughs> standpoint. But let's you're you're here to write the contract. So you're gonna write the contract. What are you gonna put in the contract? Mm. 
they had learned their lesson from the previous cases where oil got in trouble. Yeah. Well, here's the thing that you do if you're a lawyer. You say, uh, first, you need to pay my retainer. <laughs> and, then, and then you say, and then you say, it depends. And yeah. And you filibuster. Right. Until you and burn then... up the retainer. <laughs> oh, sorry. You have to go to actual courts now? I'll no. need more dollar money. Say, it depends. You say, it depends. And essentially you, you know, uh, I guess I'm answering my own question, but the, so some of the factors that, that the court's looking at here to determine whether you're going to be on the hook as the big oil company selling oil, little station is, is this your, actually your property? Is this, are, are they only selling your products? Are you setting the hours of operation? Are you setting the prices? Are you telling them how to run the station or are you letting them run the station pretty much? but you're just taking the, you know, sort of skimming off the top. And so what I would probably advise uh, an oil company to do if they were going to try to avoid liability in the case of humble oil. Establish an exclusive distributorship. Mm -hmm. You have a distributorship agreement where it's the owner of the gas station is going to own the lease or the rent or the property, first of all. Mm -hmm. Second, they're going to set their own hours. You're going to say you can be open at whatever time you want to be open. You can be closed whatever time you want to be closed. You have quality control recommendations and standards, but you're not, and you do inspections to make sure that they are in basically in compliance, but you're not necessarily financially holding them to account. You let them sell other products. Um, you know, maybe you can sell the motor oil inside can be from a couple different brands, but you know, what's at the pump outside is your stuff. You know, you have the sign, but you let them sell whatever brand of cigarettes they want inside. Pretty much what a gas station looks like today. How would an accountant hear this and tuck it in their pocket for future use as an accountant? The most useful thing that the accountant can do if this question ever comes up is to refer it to the law offices of William DeClerc. <laughs> So I can use more than one sentence mm -hmm. to answer that question. And tell their client that I'm not a lawyer. You should probably consult a lawyer. Uh -huh. the, the financial dealings are relevant to the determination of ownership and control. And so which aspects are, are inside of the business, whether you're representing the big company that's franchising out to a smaller uh, sub or whether you own, whether you're representing the sub that is in a financial relationship with some kind of a franchisor is, is which, which items fall on which side of the line can matter in terms of liability. And so having separate books from the franchisor franchisee relationship and determining what, how the transactions are characterized mattered a lot in these cases. Um, you know, the, whether something was a royalty or whether something was a, a fee or whether something was rent or whether something was calculated as um, commission as commissions impacted whether there was a element of ownership and control. And so more of the transactions that look like keeping ownership and control inside of the, the agent in the relationship, the rent, the payment of wages, the setting of prices, the, uh, you know, the, the financial dealings of the, individual station point toward an independent contract relationship. 
because that um, business is operating as a business. And its relationship with the principal, purported principal or the franchisor, when it's characterized as royalty or costs of goods, napkins, straws, gasoline, products, um, where there's a bargain for exchange for value, stops looking like control so much. So if the inspections are being done, you know, by the, you know, on a quality control basis, mm. you know, mystery shoppers, it's going to look less like a ownership and control principal agent relationship. If it's their specific financial incentives tied to how it's, how the station is run, it's going to start looking more like an employment uh, employee relationship. The other thing too, that you're going to tell your client as you're referring them to the law offices of William de Clerk <laughs> and telling them they're going to need to write a big retainer check. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, the other thing you're going to tell them is that it depends. It's a sliding scale and you can't get, a, you're not going to get in these kind of situations, a hundred percent comfort that it will never be characterized one way or another, because here we have two cases that are very, very close to the line and you could not call them balls and strikes based if I just told you the facts. They all, these cases could go either way, which is why they end up in law school textbooks. Um, right. Because the facts are, they're little shades. And you know, one of my favorite books of late is Allow Me to Retort by Ellie Mistal, in which Ellie Mistal explains that a lot of what's supposedly balls and strikes is backward reasoning from the result you want. Um, and a good lawyer, good judges are lawyers, um, and a good lawyer, good judge is going to be able to reason backwards from whatever result they want. Um, and so being able to understand what kind of reasoning and what kind of arguments are in play are what are going to push you to one side or the other where you want to go. So good advocacy, good lawyering, big retainers. Are the things that matter. Mm. Uh -huh. Well, I want to thank Pia for dropping by and then leaving abruptly. And I want to thank Lauren for showing up on short notice to uh, do this little drop-in bit in order to meet our contractual obligations to earmark CPE. And now we're going to take you back to the live show at the Lyric Hyperion Theater with The Ledge. Oh, I almost forgot, Jeff. Thank you. Don't make it weird, man. <laughs> <laughs> and the answer is Stephen is the winner. That is correct. Hey! Simon is not responsible in any way. Oh, I thought I had to. I'm a lawyer now, Mom. <laughs> due to principles of law in this business association's book, of which I've told you nothing. And you guys didn't hear it when he cut away, but he did go back and re-explain how oil is made. By the <laughs> Twice. So accurate. So accurate. So and there detailed. was dinosaurs involved. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> one of them. One of them did say it's a living. Uh, <laughs> all right. Hey, uh, I, I just wanted to thank you so much for giving me a ride. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, hey, hey, I'm just going to uh, drop you up here. Is that all right? Oh, no, that, yeah, that's perfectly fine. Um, yeah, just you can pull up right here, and I'll hop out. All right. Um, oh, uh, just one more thing. Yeah. Um, I'm going to just pop in there. 
Yeah. It'd be great if you could wait for me. Sure. Actually, just be a couple minutes. If okay. you can give me a ride afterwards, I'm just going to pop in. I'm just going to, uh, you know, spray a little uh, this roll on, spray on deodorant over the cameras. I'm just going to pull down the balaclava that I've got. I'm just going to ask the cashiers, give me any money you've got or else, you know, I'll snap your neck or use this knife. Okay. And then I'll come back out here with some money and then we'll just head home. I'm thinking like three minutes tops. If it runs the way my plan said, I should be out in 2.30. So, I'm not an attorney, <laughs> but what you just described sounds like a robbery. Oh, man. <laughs> Come on. Hey, Paul, How? he looks funny, too. Sweetheart, you're leaning way over the seat. Listen, I'm, I thank you so much. You're fascinating. I've never seen anybody just like you. I also That's a pretty shirt you got on, too. Thank you. It's silk. It's to distract the camera. Ah. I've got a plain work shirt it's on It's silky. Underneath. Thank you. Your daughter's really handsy. <laughs> we prefer the term hands forward. Okay. Um, but, I mean, it's not a robbery, all right? What I'm doing is I'm aggressively redistributing wealth, all right? We don't need these banks and these oil fat cats holding on to all the money. I'm going in there, and I'm being a modern-day Robin Hood. I'm stealing from the rich and giving to the me. <laughs> so I, I, I got to say, you make a very convincing case. So I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to leave the car here. Okay. I'm going to leave it running. I'm going to suggest you put some of the money in my trunk. <laughs> and that way, I will not be abetting your robbery, because you are free to not put the money in my trunk. <laughs> I enjoy your suggestion. I take a good note. And I will also say, maybe because of that great idea of you leaving the trunk open, I'll maybe leave a little extra. Because I got a pretty good feeling that Cheryl in the back is going to need some help paying for college. <laughs> pa, can I stay and watch him shoot somebody? I will suggest that you climb up in the sunroof and lean forward record it on your phone, and then we will sell the footage to someone who will put it on YouTube. All right. But you can make your own choice. All right. I speak more slowly when I'm being deceptive. <laughs> hey, can you do me a favor? I really appreciate it. She didn't record it. I mean, I'm not wearing the balaclava yet. Okay. Is that an order? Um, That'll work for you. That, that's true. All right. I, I may be taking money from you to do a service. But I don't work for you. That's right. My dad just gave you a ride. You should be grateful. Cheryl, could you please stop licking my ear? Sorry. Okay. You got hair in it. Um, mm. She is right. You do have hair in the ear. And it is now slicked back. So I'm just going to go in there, and I'm going to come right back. Okay? okay. All right. All right. So uh, wait here, okay? Cars waiting right here. All right. Car door noise. Well, I'm happy to be of service, sir. Here, take this entire bag of money. I uh, don't need it at all. Thank you. I'm sorry I was mumbling at you so much. I apologize. It's all right. I, have an I got really hearing. nervous and I got like lockjaw. It was crazy. No, I saw you two talking out the other. It happened last week, too. These very loquacious robbers having an elaborate plan and they come in and I keep an extra bag of money for you right here. You oh. see, I value my livelihood much more than my money. Well, I mean, your name's not on the bank, right? It's not. All right, I'm going to head out to uh, what is essentially a getaway Uber at this point. Shoot but him! Shoot him! I want no, more no, likes! No, no, Shoot him! Hey, hey, Cheryl, stop it! 
This guy's really nice. Oh, is that your daughter? She's oh, adorable. Oh, God, no. She's, I mean, no. I mean, um, that was rude. I'm, I'm right here. Does she I can need hear a what job? I'm so sorry. What I mean is I don't have children. I don't want children. This I'm getting really open with you. I'm sorry. Can I, no, it's all can right. I get open with Do you? you? I don't think I'm ready more. for kids. The I mean, look at what I'm doing with my How life. Long? Did you tell them two and a half to three you'll be in here? Oh, Christ. I got to go. Thank you so much. Oh, no. no I'd I'd like to, you, you know what? You, this is for you. Oh, no. I this is I for you. I really appreciate that. No, really no. And this one. Hey. What? This one's got a die pack. This is definitely for you. This is definitely ruined. But at least my logo is okay. <laughs> Boy, is your face red. <laughs> <laughs> hey, oh God! Oh God! Oh. I'm so sorry. Oh no! <laughs> okay, I knew we should I was go a lot. Die in this episode. <laughs> we should go a lot faster. Oh, are, 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 are you done recording? No, I Wait a minute. remember you gotta hold one minute and everybody gotta be quiet so we get room tone. I wanna identify too. Uh, no, no, I Cheryl, please don't aim that okay. in my face. I strongly suggest that we go ahead and move along and get, get back to okay. my, my, as my long safe as house. As long as it's not an order. It's not an order, it's just a, a polite Excuse request. Me, gentlemen, you've been parked here for more than fifteen minutes. Oh, oh uh, uh the um, meter's expired. Um here, I, I, I'm thinking about writing you a ticket. Oh, please. You know what? Uh, let me pay uh, for the meter with this stack of $100 bills. Oh, I'll just change this into quarters. I'll oh, be right God back. damn it. What have I done? We're going to be here forever. Oh, man. Wait, wait. We just don't have to wait for the change. I feel so stupid. Let's just go. Let's All just right. go. Right. Like faster, though. I mean, like, like it, like, I mean, it's not a getaway. It's, I don't mean to tell you how to drive, it's but. A, you have Volt. Daddy I, likes to cruise. It moves at the speed of electricity. Thank you. Which Cheryl, is surprisingly slow. Daddy likes to cruise. Yeah, please stop rubbing my shoulders when you say the word cruise every time. <laughs> I, but it's silky. And oh. you are tense. Uh, yes, I'm very tense. I would like to get to my safe house, please. All right. Boo! I'm not trying to pull over. I've just run out of battery. <laughs> Hello, um... I'm just wondering if you could show me directions. You see, I found that in America, if I just make a little siren-type noise, people will give me directions. Do you know which way it is to the, the near, near service station? Well, you are the most adorable Cockney boot black I've seen in the last day. <laughs> are you holding a chimney broom? I am! <laughs> well, do you want to dance on down the road? Daddy, he's got no upper lip. <laughs> <laughs> so which direction should I go, gents? At this point, I'm going to say, that way to the skin graft. <laughs> Perfect, then. Cheerio. Wait. Be well. Not a second, is there a little chemistry going on between that Cockney blue pack and your daughter Cheryl? I think I, I see know. a couple of sparks there. I, I, I think something's on fire. <laughs> oh, oh, it's him. Oh, oh it's him. Oh, it's all okay. the soot. Hey. Oh, God. Oh, no. I didn't think I was going to die twice in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, a spoonful of sugar really helps the self-emoliation go down. <laughs> Edit. So, uh, look, I'm going to say, we at Sun Oil, we've done a lot of bad things, okay? Sure, we've taken over small countries, deposed dem democratically elected regimes, we polluted schools, 
water. Don't forget about the, the copyright violation. Exactly, exactly. Jeez. We stole our business from Sun Records. That's right. Colonel Tom Parker almost beat the shit out of me in a, in a parking lot back there, which is ironic because of his name. That's right. That's right. And then that, what, what, what was that Phillips guy? He showed up. That's right. That's right. I almost had a real million-dollar quartet on my face. Ah, <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. Can I get another beer? But what I'm saying is, We've done a lot of bad things. Well, they weren't necessarily bad. Well, they were, what's the opposite of good? They were questionable. Exactly. Let's put it that way. Questionable. I gotta say, like, four or five of those things were objectively bad. Oh, you mean like when we poured that uh, that, that 10 gallons of oil into that giant tub of formula and then sold it to children? Yeah, that one was one of the ones I was thinking was objectively bad. Yeah. Because we didn't make any money off it or anything. No, no. It was just no. general sociopathy. Well, I mean, we were just like, hey, can we get away with oily baby formula? Exactly. Turns out, you can. It it was, all you need it to was do just, is get really nice waivers in advance. It, it's true. But it was just questionable because the original ingredients said you should put in olive oil. We did not have the olive oil. So what did you say? Use motor oil. Use motor oil. It's and, oil. And to be honest. This formula was going to kill some babies already. Because they were making it with olive oil. And that is not a good way to make it. I'm not a parent, you understand. Because I'm not legally allowed to be that close to them. But, <laughs> but I, I, I think the formula was the problem to begin with. We really just kind of probably made it better. Yeah, I'd say that it was already a rocket ship to a shithole. We just put on a bigger engine. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. See, you know what? Maybe, maybe we're not good people. Right. Oh, definitely not our good very people. existence has made the world a worse place. My mm-hmm. mother always said I was a good person. That's true. That's true. And what happened to your mother? Yeah. My mother's dead. How'd she die? In a questionable way. Boy, I, I, <laughs> if, if I recall, she died murdering a bunch of other people. That's right. It was the rifle malfunction, for example. That's right. There was a, it was a water pistol that was filled with sun oil. That's right. It was an old Italian bolt-action water pistol mm-hmm. filled with sun oil. Mm-hmm. And, and she was up, up, up in the, what was it, the, the Texas the, Water Pistol Depository Building. Yeah, and, yeah. and the people were trying to swim, and they couldn't swim, and they were sticking all together. And exactly. It was, the, it was the third worst thing to happen in 1962. It was your so, mom, yep. something I can't remember, and then this guy setting a car on fire. <laughs> Are you reminiscing about your mom? <laughs> yeah. That look on your face yeah. definitely said you were reminiscing yeah. about your mother murdering oh, oh, a bunch well, of people. She didn't intend to murder. She was cleaning the gun, and she accidentally shot it off 17 times. To be fair, that is manslaughtering people, not murdering people. That's exactly. Because exactly. intent is the core of the law. Exactly. exactly. She did not mean to murder those people. She did not even know who those people were. Exactly. She just decided that oh, it accidentally shot 17 people. Is it really murder if you do it to strangers? No, it's not. See? It's not. Like Murder requires real knowledge. Right? Yeah, yeah. It's to be a personal thing. It's an intimate thing. Exactly. It's yeah. about friendship and love. Yeah. And that's right. Yeah, yeah. At least as I so, interpret those words to be. So, yeah. yeah. So, we we didn't know any of those thousands of people that lived downriver of that plant. Right. No, we so, didn't. we didn't murder anybody. Exactly. Right. And your mom, you know what? She suggested to the bullets they should leave the gun. She didn't, te- she didn't make him go. Nope. She just pointed a gun in a direction. You know what? Is it her fault there was a person standing so close in front of him? She had absolutely no training with that gun. Exactly. You yeah. know who I think is the villain here? The gun and the oil. You know what's that old saying? 
People don't kill people. Guns kill people. I think I got that backwards. That's right. That's, that's right. right. Yeah. Guns son, kill, son doesn't kill guns people. Guns don't kill people. Yeah. Right. People, but I think your mom is the case where, like, the gun clearly had it out for those people. And scene. That brings us to the end of this week's Legal Voyage, and I want to thank you for joining me, your captain, on this earmark edition of Laying Down the Law. I'd like to thank my live crew, Hans, Steven, and Chris, as well as our bonus guests with the cleanup job, Jeff, Pia, and Lauren for joining me on this journey into madness. And I want to give a special shout out to Sean Landry and the Ledge Theater for hosting us live at the Lyric Hyperion right here in beautiful Silver Lake, California. And listener, I'd like to thank you for coming along with us. Wherever you are, you're also here while you're there via the magic of Earmark CPE. I'd also like to thank the OG cello performance CPA, Blake Oliver, for building Earmark CPE, the mighty little app that makes learning fun and free. <clears throat> Mostly free, but now you can subscribe. Isn't that right, Blake? That's right, Billy. And speaking of mighty, thank you to the mighty Q, Quentin Feitner, for the mighty cover art. Thank you for the opportunity, Billy. And hey, if you listeners want some cool art of your own, you can find me at fightpro.com. Thank you to David Felton for creating the awesome all-original music. And a special thank you to Jeff at Feitner Productions. Hey, that's me. <laughs> yes, Jeff. That is you. Thank you, Jeff, for making a little boy's radio show dreams into a middle-aged man's podcast reality. So until next time... Wait. What's this? You forgot something. What's that? I forgot something, you say? Yeah, you gotta do the thing. You know, the thing. Alright. If you want even more of that delicious legal nut butter drenched in comedy chocolate, find the full version of this and every amazing episode of Laying Down the Law at FightPro.com or wherever in the metaverse you get your podcasts. That's F-Y-T-E-P-R-O dot com. Fightner Productions is not responsible for the preceding comments related to nut butter. If you or someone you know experiences nausea, third eye blindness, sudden onset euphoria, or have an unrelenting craving for ham, seek help immediately. Laying down the law is protected by the Intergalactic Treaty of Euripides, Stardate 2181.90. If you'd like a transcript of the show, please send a self-addressed stamped envelope to... Colonel Steve Austin, care of the Foundation for Law and Government, 221A Baker Street, Beverly Hills, 90210. Any likeness to real places, persons, or events is absolutely happenstance. We'd never intentionally crib real life happenings to make a podcast. We're not true crime after all. It's more likely a situation similar to the chimpanzees, typewriters, and Shakespeare, right? That's what Attorney Steve says anyway. And if you know what's good for you, you listen to Attorney Steve. I don't argue with Attorney Steve, mostly because he ain't right in the head and quite honestly frightens me a little bit. The last time we went to court, the judge started asking him all kinds of weird questions like, where did you study law and why hasn't the State Bar of California ever heard of you? Then Attorney Steve started doing this weird deep breathing meditation kind of thing and muttering under his breath about a monster truck fight and how the judge ain't got nothing on a 15,000 pound, 2,000 horsepower fire breathing death cage on wheels and then the bailiff came running with his taser and honestly, I didn't even ask Attorney Steve to come with me. It was only traffic for God's sake. Besides, I totally parked in the loading truck and I went into the 